Welcome again to another episode of the Wednesday Night Show. I am Ryan. As always, I'm joined by Stacy. Rob is, you know, I miss Rob. You know that, Stacy? I miss him. I miss Rob too. He said I mean, something today was kind of funny. <laughs> I miss him. He used to hurry up and come back. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's now getting money for his kid. You know, he. I mean, he. I think he had like you know he had his kid right when I was dealing with that damn hurricane. You remember that? I mean, he had um, yeah. about three days after um, Hurricane Ida made landfall, he had his kid, and I was like, it it broke my heart that I couldn't we couldn't I couldn't celebrate because I couldn't celebrate. We we couldn't celebrate as a as a as a family um, with cousin Rob and um, you know and the and the birth of his kid. But, uh, you know, being a dad is, you know, I, I know for him it's job one and stuff, you know, his kid got a chance to see a Braves world championship and I'm pretty sure, and, and I, and I'm sorry to bring this up, but Alabama made you, your, you cry on your birthday, Stacey. And you said, I think Stacey, you jinxed the Crimson Tide when you said that they never lost, they don't lose on your birthday. And apparently they uh, did. No, they don't. They did, and and they lost around. They don't. I will say this. Let me tell you. I should have said they never lose around my birthday. I never should have said on it because around my birthday normally, uh, they don't. And yeah, I think I jinxed them because I know we only lost Monday night. We lost to Auburn last night, so it's not been a good week, <laughs> to say the least. I mean, it really. I mean, I think. You know LSU, and I and I've looked at you know the seasons that LSU have had. You know, in my in like I, I think, and I, I'm trying to think um, from my from my research. I think they're like twelve and three or fourteen, and you know, it's like fourteen and three. I think on um, on um, on my birthday, I think they're like fourteen and three on, in games played around my birthday. It's very rare that LSU loses on my birthday. It's very I can rare. Say, that's probably what, it's rare for me because last year I think the national championship game was on January the 11th, the day after my birthday. So when I turned cough 49, um, they didn't, they, they won. So I'm like, okay, I must, I, it must go for me for odd years because last year was an odd year. <laughs> this is an even year. So maybe I'm even an odd out. So maybe next year, next year, this time, I'll probably be saying, oh, yeah, they came back and won. So that's my luck because I probably the national championship game, I, I bet, will be around the 12th because it's so been I moving. Did, so like so I, I, looked up, the, I looked up um, since 1993, uh, which is when I became an LSU fan. All right, so you start at the Donato era. During the Donato era, LSU was two and one on games played around my birthday. Uh, the first win they had was against Mississippi State in 1996. They won that game the day after my birthday. Um, and then they won against they won against Mississippi State in 1996, 1998, and um, in 1996 and 1998. And then um, they beat Auburn in 2003. They won that game on my birthday. Uh, and they beat Troy in 2004. 
They beat Auburn in 2009, Furman in 2013, Ole Miss. They won that game on my birthday, 10 to 7. And they also beat uh, Western Kentucky uh, the day before my birthday. And they beat Auburn 23 to 20 uh, in Baton Rouge. Um, I want to say that was the day after the day after my birthday. And um, the lost season, the lost season, which would have been uh, 2020, um, LSU defeated South Carolina 52 to 24. Uh, in Baton Rouge, and that game was in front of 21,000, uh, 21,855. Like, that was like yeah, that year, yeah. like that season. Like, I always think back that there was 21,000 fans in Tiger Stadium. Like, I always think back to that, and that was like the most bizarre thing to look at. Like, you, you're looking at it now it's kind of crazy to think like, that's just how, you know, you're so used to seeing a hundred thousand people and you see 20,000 people in tiger stadium. And then I know when we went and played in Gainesville, there was like 16,000. Then you had 16,000 at, uh, in Fayetteville. And then you had 23,000 in, in Cal field. When you think of that stuff, uh, Stacy, it's kind of insane to think about that. Like looking at it now, in 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 retrospect, but the Saints have never well, lost on my birth. The Saints have never lost a game on October since I've been in New Orleans. They are undefeated on my birthday. Well, I think, like I said, for the most part, I've had pretty much good luck around my birthday. But this year, like I said, it's kind of different. But I, at the same time, uh, I'm up. I'm, I won't say I'm sad. Um, Disappointed we lost at the same time, you know, it was Georgia's time as I look at it. They were going to have to win eventually. And my thing was, if they didn't do it this year, they weren't going to They were never going to do it. I'm sorry. They They were never going to do it. I mean, that's just plain stuff. You you need to get saving now. And people say this is a bad team. This wasn't a bad Alabama team. They're a young Alabama team. No, it was not a bad. bad. It was it was well, yeah. not a bad Alabama team. I think anybody – it's like – I think you got to look at it this way. Okay, you can look at what, like, Clemson, like, this year. Clemson had a down year and still won 10 games. And I explained right. to someone, in this first maybe almost 60 years of the ACC, um, I think Clemson had maybe three or four 10-win seasons uh, in, in – in, um, in, in, in football, they've had 11 straight 10-win seasons. Most of the 10-win seasons in Clemson history are alluded to Dabo Sweeney. Regardless of how you feel about him as a person, he is by far the greatest coach Clemson has had. So winning 10 oh, yeah. games, winning 10 games, you know, despite all of the shit that, you know, that you went through, with a new quarterback, you you know you're trying to replace Trevor Trevor Lawrence and all those guys. That's an accomplishment, and I think the same thing you see with with Alabama. Alabama, I didn't think they had a down. That was to me, it wasn't a down year. It was just business as usual. 
Okay, they lost the fucking Texas A&M. They lost the national championship game. There are a lot of schools that would love to have that kind of that right. kind of season. You know, I wish we had that kind of season, but we didn't. I mean, we played in the, uh, the Texas Bowl, but you look at I look at it in hindsight that I think. As you said, if Georgia didn't do it this year, they were never going to do it. They were never going to do. I mean, to me, the true sign of that game is when Williams when Williams went out. I was like, we were in trouble then. I mean, and they and the thing about it is, Georgia, we we were still in this game with seven minutes to go. If they could have got a drive together, that game, you know, could have won Alabama's way. And then they were driving at the end, so they could have easily scored and would took the game to overtime. But yeah, if if Georgia was going to do it, it had to be this year because Alabama is going to be probably better next year because they have more experience. They're going to probably be more focused, and they're pissed off. And so, yeah. so now you I know mean, you think about you think about that two thousand like I think about like in two thousand ten when they went ten and three, they lost that those games that they beat y'all lost to us. Y'all lost they lost to South Carolina. They blew that game against Auburn, and the very next year they came back and beat everybody except. Yep. The, I mean, they beat us. They didn't. They beat us in the national title game, but they didn't beat us in the regular season. And yep. they were just very focused. Yep. You know that offense was clicking on all cylinders. I mean, I enjoy. I like Trent Richardson is one of my favorite running backs of all time. And mm-hmm. when he, and in the SEC, you know, I I would you know I. You know, everyone knows that he didn't pan out the way that he panned out in the um, in the um, in the NFL. But at the college level, he was just something amazing to watch. I mean, I remember the cutback he did against Ole Miss, where he made one guy, he made like two guys miss. Um, just some of the runs that he had, like the vision that he had on that field. It was just amazing. And I think for Georgia, it's like, you know, being an LSU fan, like I, they, we waited 45 years for our, for our first title. But I don't think people thought of us as long-suffering. You know, LSU fans weren't known as long-suffering. Um, I think you could say that about, you know, you could, you could, you could, you couldn't, you could say that about Auburn. You could say that about, Georgia, but you never say that about LSU. And I think the moment that that pick six happened, and I thought about a lot of my friends who are, you know, friends of mine who are Georgia fans, and to them, that was their Tracy Porter moment. Like when Tracy Porter uh, picked off Peyton Manning to give the Saints their first Super Bowl win. That right there, that game, that that moment right there was their um, their Tracy Porter moment, and I'm excited. Well, like I, I'm, <laughs> and I'm excited for him. I'm not. Uh, like I said, I, I know, and I, and I get extremely, it. I mean, most of Georgia fans are being extremely obnoxious, and then now they're pissed off because they're they're saying they're not getting as much respect. Well, how do you think Alabama? felt when going into this game, people were saying we were lucky to be there and that Georgia didn't play their best game. And Alabama had a lot to do with it. And like I said, when I think about what we accomplished this season as a team, I'm actually proud 
probably uh, uh, this proud that proud because uh, they were the only team to beat Georgia and they almost did it a second time. And to me, and I'm be honest with you, I don't give a fuck what Georgia fans have to say at this point. But uh, I honestly believe had our two best wide receivers or at least one of them was available. I firmly believe, and Feinbaum has agreed with this and said he believes if Williams did not get hurt, this would have been a different outcome. I'm of the belief that it might have been too because they had just, when when Williams had got hurt, he had just burned them for, what, a 40 or 50-yard pass. So had he not, I mean, they, it seemed like they were getting into rhythm. And uh, But like I said, I will give Georgia credit. Georgia played a hell of a game. They deserved to win more power to them but as far as alabama goes i'm already you know feel like we'll be back next year if we don't and like i said considering the fact that we had injuries two of our top wide receivers were gone we were left with only two running backs in the backfield injuries on the offensive line and and these boys set that and they won an sec title they won the cotton bowl and they were seven minutes away from winning another national championship and most of these dudes will be back next year. So as an Alabama fan, um, I don't like the fact that we lost, but I'm smiling because I know next year I'm probably going to be celebrating the championship. I think that's so, too. I think you're going to see a very focused, a very experienced, um, very experienced Alabama team. I'm really excited. I was just, like I said, I was just happy for the Georgia. I mean, me personally, I kind of didn't care who won. I mean, I picked, I think on this on this podcast, I picked Alabama to win this game, just like you did. But I think the te- the, the true telling was my, my belief, and we talked about this last week, we didn't know which O-line was going to show up. I think the O-line played, played as well as it could, but they just looked look gassed down the, down the stretch down the stretch mm-hmm. they look they just look gassed and now it's like everybody you know we've been talking college football for months since august and it just tells you gives you an idea of how i wouldn't say how draining college football season can be but it's like you go from august to january and then you got this long off season and it's like oh my god what 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 do you do now i mean here in new orleans it's mardi gras season you know it's carnival season just like it is in uh in in in, in mobile but there's nothing like college football and i think it felt much sweeter this year because the fans came back we got back together and Right. You know, thanks to the marvel of science, like the marvel of science. Yes, there's an Omicron, whatever, but people still got back together. Like you got back to tailgating, you got back to the things that we missed during the 2020 season. Like I was writing down uh, the um, the uh, the figure, the attendance figures. I mean, you had 16,000 fans at 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 Swamp. You had. 20,000 fans in Tiger Stadium and you got now you had 100,000 uh at at Tiger Stadium and you had 100,000 at Bryant Denny and and all those things but you know all in all it was just an amazing season I'm just excited for the I'm already excited for the next season and everything 
But moving right along, I forgot, uh, I forgot the season was over for y'all. Truly, football season over because the Saints lost too. No, I'm sorry, the the Forty Nineers and the Saints. So yeah, we got knocked football. out. We got knocked out. <laughs> we got knocked out because Matthew Stafford is washed. He has a fucking noodle arm, and people are gonna sit and say, "Well, the Rams threw that game on purpose." I call bullshit. No, I think the Rams. I, I don't think they threw that game on purpose. They they didn't throw that game on purpose. If we had beaten the Giants, we would not be having we would not be having this discussion. Mm-hmm. And I do believe if Devin White had not injured Jameis Winston, we would definitely not be having this discussion. Because mm-hmm. Jameis Winston was starting to play some really good football. And that low life Devin that low life Devin White had to fuck it up. Devin White's horses need to, you know, Devin White, Devin White's horses need to get some sort of 18th century disease, like gonorrhea. <laughs> gonorrhea. Don't put the curse on the horses. My cousin Hilarious. did. My cousin placed the curse on the entire Buccaneers. I like I'm t- like I say, she literally placed a curse on the entire Buccaneers organization. They are in shambles right now. Like shambles. I'm like, I'm like, uh, one of my friends who's a Buccaneers fan, I'm like, dog, um, I think if, if I were you, I would not want to piss off my friend Nicole because she, <laughs> she placed a curse on the entire Buccaneers organization. So, um, Take that with what you take that information however you want it to take it because um it's about to be very very scary for the Buccaneers. I don't know how I don't know what what's the next act for them, but they're not. I don't see them. I think that they're going to be one and done. They're going to be one. Yeah, I think they're going to be one and done. They have too many. They have too many injuries right now. I don't see them making it past uh the first round. I think the Eagles don't they play the Eagles? Yeah, they're, they're playing the Eagles. I don't so, think they win. So now we shift gears uh and we're talking about the NFL. Brian Flores got fired on Monday, which was a complete shock to everybody. Uh because they were playing some really good football. And I really want to get your thoughts and we can have this discussion about why do we, you know, why do black coaches get a shorter leash than white coaches? And if you look at what Brian Flores have have been doing in Miami, he got this team playing some really good football. And now all of a sudden he gets fired and all these things about him not getting along with the organ with play with people in the organization, all these hit pieces come out. And I think back to how Matt Rule is still in Carolina and he's only won maybe four or five games since he's been there in Carolina. But now you got Brian Flores out of a job. And I really want to get your thoughts on that. I did a story um, this afternoon on... Brian Flores and what happened in Miami 
And my understanding was, and I, and I said this, I said, you know, I know a lot of people with this situation want to make it about race and maybe some of it has to do, but I think what screwed him up in Miami was not basically letting Tua Tonga Valoa go in the office. His conservative play calling really cost them. And I think to me, if he had let Tua just, you know, to me, it reminds me a little bit of the Matt Nagy thing with Justin Fields and holding him back, which I'll get to that in a minute, because I think some of that is race-based, in my opinion. But uh, I think the main reason he was fired was because, and, and like I said, I just did the story, was because the fact that from what I've read and wrote about today, the Miami management was pissed off with his relationship with Tua. And he fucked that up last year by going back and forth between Tua and Ryan Fitzpatrick instead of just staying with Tua and let him play through his issues as a quarterback. He's a, he's a rocket. They're going to make mistakes. And rather just sticking with Tua until Tua got hurt, and I think he got hurt last year this year, he went on and played Fitzpatrick and the going back and forth and everything else I think really cost him his job in the end. Because especially when, like I said, basically he was depending on, you know, the, base, the, the offense didn't do a lot. So the, basically Tua's main job was basically just being a game manager. And he's not a game manager. This is a dude who's one of the most prolific passers in NCAA history. And you're making him a game manager. You're making him those short passes and making him run. This dude has a cannon for an arm and you're going to do this? And I'm thinking management is probably sitting there saying, what the fuck is going on? And yes, they won eight or nine, but they start out as one and seven. So I think in Flores's case, a lot of this, he bought this on himself by the way he mismanaged the relationship with Tua Tonga Valoa. Now that, that's my opinion on that. However, I do think that Race has a lot to do with why a lot of these black coaches. Because somebody was bringing up Jim Caldwell, and I said, "Yeah, he was in Indianapolis. This man was successful. I think he was Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator." Yeah, but and then he was he was, he was yeah. successful. I think he was successful. But then when Peyton Manning had that surgery, the bottom just fell out. The bottom yeah. just fell and, out. So it's but like that wasn't, his, that wasn't his fault. That was the coach, and the coach should have stayed. To me, with I mean, they gave up on Peyton, which to me, their organization notice hasn't been right since because how dirty they did Peyton, and let him now he's he's a, he's gone off or went out to another team and won a Super Bowl. So if the Colts had just waited, they probably would have won another Super Bowl with with Manning. But when I look at an organization like Mike, Mike Tomlin is back in the playoffs, the the Steelers have kept him around. And he keeps winning. They probably won't win the Super Bowl this year or go to the Super Bowl, but this dude keeps on doing it. A lot of these men, a lot of these teams are still, a lot of these owners are still racist. They still don't think black, and they, they'll give a black coach a chance, but they quick to yank them if they don't do it within a, a couple of years. But like you said, there are coaches out here and who've been around for years that still don't win, or either they're getting their second or third shot at being in the NFL to try to prove themselves perfect example was john gruden john gruden had no business probably being back in the nfl no. i agree with that and but I, and, like, and the, and the, and the and thing make about like he's a fucking genius and he won and we say this and you know this to be true he won with tony dungy's players tony Dungy I mean, goes if you look, if you look at if you football. look at if you look at john gruden and his time 
I mean, he was a coach for 15 years. Okay, he had a 117 and 112 record as a head right. coach. He won only five playoff games. Okay, so so let's 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 look let's look into this whole thing. He only got to he only got to two conference championship games, two conference championship games, and on top of that. He only won five division titles. He won five division titles. He won back-to-back division titles in Oakland. He won three uh, NFC South division titles in uh, in Tampa. And the thing was, if you t- listen to Keyshawn Johnson talk about John Gruden, Keyshawn Johnson hated John Gruden. And the thing about John Gruden's career I always thought it was very overrated because when you look at them they wanted they wanted they won the Super Bowl his first year and then they had 79 five and 11 okay you look at when with with this with the Saints with after Sean Payton we won the Super Bowl uh in his fourth year as head coach right but we still got back to the playoffs we got back to the playoffs three straight years. Three straight years, right? Then you had 2012, the Bounty Gate year. Then you have another year you go to the playoffs. You win a, 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 a playoff game in that time. And have we not, have we had the Rams beat the Niners on, um, on, la- on this past Sunday? We would have been in the playoffs for the fifth straight year which has never happened in the history of the Saints. The thing that I'm saying here, Stacey, is that I never understood the love affair with John Gruden because he did win that Super Bowl with Tony Dungy's players. He did. And he basically ran the Buccaneers into the ground. Yep. Because he wanted so much control. It's the hype that... um, from media to me, I mean, I think uh, uh, the media hypes this guy because I remember remember when Tennessee fans were thinking he was coming there and he's going to be. Oh brilliant. my god! They they were yeah. they were like, oh my god! They did it like twice. They're like, oh my god, John Gruden's coming to Tennessee. I'm like, why would he want to go to Tennessee? Why? Exactly, his ego wasn't going to allow him to be on that small stage in Knoxville. You know, and he no, he's going to have to share. He's going to have to share. Um. He's going to have to share a state with Dolly Parton, among other mm-hmm. things. And he is not going to do that. Like, his ego is not going to uh, allow him to do that. I think he's one of the most highly overrated coaches that has ever been in the NFL. And I think a lot of it, to me, is based on the fact that the media has hyped him up to be some kind of genius. Mm-hmm. And he's not. Mm-hmm. He's at, and to me, he's of average. He's, like I said, beyond taking somebody else's team, which we all know is Tony Dungy's team, to the Super Bowl. He hasn't done shit. He wasn't doing anything in Oakland. They're going to the playoffs now, probably because he's gone. I think a lot of that success... You know, is, is I think a lot of that success that they had after he left, you could see that the team was playing a lot more loose. But he was getting... The thing about it, the thing about it was he was getting them in uh, on the right track. 
Like they they went four and twelve the first year he was there. Then they went seven and nine. Then they went then they went eight and eight. He was getting that that team was starting to play very some good football. The problem is was some of that because of him or was some of that in spite of him? I have to say, looking back on it, I think it was in spite of him. Because clearly these guys feel more inspired by the guy who's coaching them now than by him. Because look at all, but look at all he's done too. He gave away Amari Cooper. He gave away um, uh, Khalil, what's his name? Khalil, Khalil Mack. Mack. To the Chicago Bears. And I'm like, two number one draft choices are gone. And we all are like, what the hell is going on? Cooper has had better success in Dallas. And so has Mac Dunn in Chicago. And this man is being loud, you know, you know, being saying he's a genius. And they really, like I said, I really believe him. And I think what they started off when he left, they were under 500. So to me, it was him. I think, I think totally the reason why the Raiders never reached their full potential in the last few years was because of him and his stupid moves and thinking he's one of those people that think he's smarter than what he really is. And I think a lot of it, a lot of the media fed into his ego because he was such a good commentator on Monday Night Football that they said, well, he just knows football. He might know. And he, 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 he does know, he knows football, but it's just that, I think that the time, the game has passed him by. Yeah. And I think the thing about it is you can't always hire um, retreads. I mean, you just can't. But no. the thing about it is how many coaches, um, how many coaches, black coaches that is, do you know that would get that kind of uh, return, that would get like a 10-year layoff and then you return to coaching? Uh, get a head coaching job in the NFL. Not that many, because probably, I can't think of nobody. But maybe Dundee Hugh right Jack, maybe maybe Hugh Jacks, Hugh Jackson. But then again, what I mean, Hugh Jackson's got like chances on top of chances, and he was just he bad as a head coach. Yeah, he was just bad but as I, a head coach. But I also think, I also think, to me, at the same time, the Rooney Rule. Is such a damn joke because all you're doing is doing these token hot, these token interviews. And I feel like if you're going to do these interviews, if you're going to interview a minority coach, your best, it would behoove you to hire a minority coach and not do it because, uh, not do it because it's a minority but do it because it's the most that's the most qualified the most qualified uh person for the job and that's what you're not that's what i'm not seeing that the rooney rule is supposed to be uh give people chances um uh minority coaches chances but they're still we're still not we're still not seeing that i mean we're still not seeing that those results Explain to me why Eric Bieniemy is not getting a chance. You know, this dude is, you know, has basically tutored the best quarterback in football, Patrick Mahomes, you know, into being a superstar. And this dude is not, I mean, to me, why aren't the Miami Dolphins called? If if it was me, if the Miami Dolphins are serious about getting somebody in to help Tua, the first person I'd be calling is Eric Bieniemy. 
And, and like I said, not here a lot of times, but they don't interview well. Fuck that. If they know football, why does it matter if they get the, you know, speak a certain language? And I think that's what hurts some black coaches because they're, they don't speak like a Tony Dungy. Therefore, they must not be intelligent. That's not true. This dude has, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs have gone to a Super Bowl under him. And Patrick Holmes has won the MVP under this dude. They are still powerful offensively. I would be calling his ass today. And how about uh, 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 Brian Leftwich in, in Yeah, Florida? Brian Leftwich is actually going to be getting some uh, interviews. I'm hearing, I do know, I'm hearing that I think there he's going to be in play for that Jaguars job uh, he in Jacksonville. But, but I think, yeah, he played in Jacksonville. He played, I think, right before. I think right before uh, they drafted David Garrod because it was him. Then it was David Garrod. David Garrod was a really good, really good quarterback for the um, for the Jaguars. But I think the thing is that all this stuff about they didn't interview well, all this shit. I'm like, okay, what are you afraid of? Like, what are you fucking afraid of? I mean, are you afraid of the dark or what are you afraid of? Because I think I feel- it goes back to they think that uh, it still goes back to that old adage, just like with with black quarterbacks. They that don't. They're not intelligent. They're not intelligent. Yeah, they're not intelligent. Yep. And I think that has a lot to do with it. Because even with, like I said, uh, blind Flores in Miami, he had a winning record. The problem to me was how he handled the Tua Tonga Loa situation. I think had he handled it differently, he probably still have his job. He, the, the Dolphins were doing, like you said, were getting better. You can see they were getting better. But to me, like I said, Leftwich and the enemy need to be head coaches somewhere. And yet you're seeing names being recycled again from, you know, that coaches that don't deserve to get another position. Like, bet money, some college will be willing to take a chance on Urban Meyer again. They'll, they'll, so it'll be a small college, but it's going to be somebody – that is going to take in Urban Meyer like they did. He, uh, what's his face? He freeze out at Ole Miss, going to Liberty, and they'll take a chance on him again because of who he is. So he'll be recycled again somewhere oh, else. Absolutely, absolutely, and, oh, absolutely. And a more absolutely. deserving, a more deserving coach, especially a minority coach, won't get that position. I was shocked that Notre Dame made them made the change to another minority coach. No wonder this. Is I, what think Kelly, I think Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly had said that Marcus Freeman was going to replace him whenever he retired or whenever he left. I think Brian Kelly set that whole thing up. And you don't say no to the winningest. You don't deny uh, the wishes of the winningest coach in your school's uh, history, which is hard to imagine because I always thought for years that Lou Holtz was the winningest coach in, in Notre Dame football history. I would have never guessed that it would be Brian Kelly. Because I always, thought, I always knew it was Newt Rockney for a long time. Yeah, I knew it was. I didn't think it was Newt Rockney at all. I thought it was either Ara Parshigan or Lou Holtz. But it's kind of mm-hmm. like there are, you know, for most people of a certain generation, they know Lou Holtz as the Notre Dame head coach. And yeah. people of my, you know, people of us now, you got a lot of kids that are growing up. They only know Brian Kelly as the Notre Dame head coach. You know, it's very hard and it's very rare that you see coaches stay at a school 10, 12 years. I mean, now you got, you know, Nick Saban, he's in, he's about the year number 16. And you got kids, 
you know, kids that were in school that were like little kids that watched him uh, start at Alabama. Some of them have gone on to play for him, uh, play for him, go to the NFL, all kinds of things. And I think that's what you're seeing, you know, and I think it's just like a cycle thing, you know, it's a cycle thing, you know, like the cycle of life and stuff. But um, shifting gears, um, shifting gears, Stacy. Um, I think the one of the things that I will say, seeing Mark Rick, who built the modern Georgia football um, program that we know today, seeing him celebrate that national title, I think, um, I think that was one of the things that made me feel a lot better about all of this because we know, I mean, people make fun, we make fun of Mark Rick all the time, but Mark Rick was probably in my lifetime, the best coach that never won a national championship. I think too, and I know he just got diagnosed with uh, Parkinson's. Parkinson's. Yeah, and uh, but I, you know, like I said, I in reflection, if to me, if we weren't playing Georgia, I probably would be more happy, you know, be all right with it. And like I said, it's not like I'm like in tears and crumbling, and my life yeah, is falling you got apart. People. That we lost. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, because you've seen national championships. More in my lifetime than the average person. So I cannot complain. That's, I think that's my biggest thing is that I, you know, it's the old gospel song that says, uh, you know, I won't complain. I won't complain because I'm like, hell, I, you know. I mean, like it's I so you, like with I, me, you know, it's sort of like you look at, I mean, you look at, a lot of these schools, like, here's the thing that I really want to know, like, who is the now on that long suffering train? I mean, I got Notre Dame on that train. Michigan State hasn't won a national title in over 50 years, but Ole Michigan Miss. State at Ole Miss, Tennessee, and by the way, it's the 12th year anniversary of when Lane Kiffin bolted for, for USC. <laughs> Like that's hard to imagine. I was in I was in college at Christian Brothers in Memphis. I was in the ITS lab. It was a Wednesday. It was a I think it was a Tuesday night. I, it was a Tuesday night, and uh, a guy named Bradley Greer. He had texted me, and I was like, "Wait, Lane Kiffin is doing what?" He's like, "Yeah, he's leaving for um, USC." And a lot of those people at UT could not believe that he would leave Tennessee for USC. And I'm like, you know, you, you, you know, and, and this is when I realized that UT was going to be in for a long rebuild because they still wanted to run um, the football program like it was a mom and pop shop that no one in their mind leaves Tennessee for another job. You retire at Tennessee. And I think they were just so taken aback by that because no other Tennessee, you know, every Tennessee coach that I remember, Phil Fulmer retired at Tennessee, Johnny Majors, he, he did go to Pitt after he left, but they never saw anything like that. And I think their naivety to coaches 
leaving for uh, Tennessee for another job, I truly believe that whole re uh, regionalization, their mentality is where is what fucked up that program, among other things. Uh, you know, the Tennessee thing, I don't even know where I was. I can't remember. I remember being shocked and then probably laughing later because it was just the whole situation was just crazy. Like, really? This dude and I remember how basically they were ready to burn down Knoxville. They were. And he left because that was the funniest shit in life. And I'm going to laugh until I can't laugh anymore. And I told you, you talking about Tampa Bay King curse. I told you I believe the Tennessee curse. I believe that them losing to Alabama every single year since Nate, Nick Saban has been head coach is a curse thing because they try to take us down and they have paid for it ever since and I've enjoyed every minute of it. Even when we win and we barely win, I, just, I enjoy it. But anyway, besides the point, but I don't, I don't, I just, I don't recall where it was, but I think it's like you said, instability is what the problem that Tennessee has had. And I think honestly, they have stability now that they haven't had in probably 15 years. Saban arrived, so they now have stability. And they now have a decent head coach, but are they going to give him a chance to mature and grow into that job? Because he did a good job this year, but I think if I'll say this, if Tennessee doesn't win the Eastern next year, too, they're going to want him gone too. And their problem is they, now they can't that keep doing. They can't to, like the thing that they can't keep doing. Um, they just can't keep doing this. And what, what I mean by doing this, they can't keep. Hiring and firing coaches. They just can't keep doing this. Because you got to give a chance. You got to give your coaches time to grow. And they have not done that. Uh, they really haven't. Now, Derek Dooley needed to go. But yeah. Butch, Jones, I don't th Butch Jones, I don't think needed to go. Jeremy Pruitt had to go. Um... I think the thing, and you know, someone had asked about the re, uh, right. I, I just brought up the term re, regional regionalization of college football. It's like when we were kids, Stacy. If you won the SEC, you went to the Sugar Bowl. If you right. won the, the Southwest Conference, you went to the Cotton Bowl. If you won the, the Big Eight, Bowl. you went to the Orange Bowl. You had the Rose Bowl, that was the Big Ten, that was the big prize. If he got to the Rose Bowl, that was a, a hell of a season. And it's like now, in most people's minds, winning 10 games and going to a Rose Bowl is not enough. You have to win a national championship. Do you think we are getting away from the regionalization of, football, of college football? I think it's more national than anything now. I don't know, because I, I mean... I don't know because that's a good question. I, I really believe and people still want to change the rules because now definitely they're going to want to make rule changes again because it's still regional because the Southeastern Conference continues to dominate. And as long as we continue to dominate, it, it's basically our game. It's like the SEC, like somebody says, the SEC Invitational. We know probably an SEC team, normally it's Alabama, is going to be in the S are uh, going to be in the national championship game and people want to keep on shifting the rules and changing the rules every year. And I keep on telling people, you can expand this field to 16 to 12 to eight. The SEC, you're just making it easier for the SEC to get one more team to win the national championship. If it's not Alabama, it's going to be Georgia. If it's not Georgia, it might be Ole Miss or Auburn. It might be LSU one year. So you're just making it easier for them to win championships. 
And Nick Saban, and people keep on poo-pooing Nick Saban, Nick Saban has warned against all these changes that college football has made. He warned against the transfer portal. He's warning right now against the NIL, saying that needs to be under control because he knows and he's adjusted to this stuff. And so the rest of the country wants to not listen and they want to continue to do all this and the SEC is going to continue to dominate as I see it. And it's still going to be the power five schools, even if the SEC doesn't win every year or every other year, it's still going to be a power five school from a power five conference that wins the national championship. So no, I think it's still pretty much an SEC thing. It's a, like I said, the national championship is basically, a re, and like I said, the, the, the SEC invitational. It's like us against whatever power fire school or, or uh, non-power fire school they want to throw at us. And until I mean, we talked about, we talked about, we talked about like last week, we were talking about how, um, how, and you know, how we, you know, we were looking at like the, the, uh, the 12 schools, the top 12 in the, uh, in the, in the, um, in the rankings for the AP in the AP poll. And we looked at how, um, basically it still is going to be a top heavy team. It's still, still going to be a top heavy invitation. Or even if he was expanded to 16, it's still going to be mostly P5 schools. It's not going to be, Maybe it'll probably be like one or two G five schools, but it's still going to be very heavily uh, shifted towards the P five. I mean, the P five is the P five and everybody else. Yep. You know, and I think, yeah. but we and, have to stop thinking. Too, to me, to me, we have to stop, stop thinking. Think about that. Yeah, go ahead. And, and people gotta stop. Well. People gotta stop thinking about. Stop thinking. Well. We're gonna like the G five, the the an expanded playoff is gonna expand. You know, we're gonna have an expanded playoff, and you're gonna have a G five team in the uh, in the playoffs. I'm like, that's not gonna happen because these voters are not gonna allow that to happen. The college football committee is not gonna allow that to happen. I, I think that we need to stop living in the myth of that. And I ask people this all the time, do we want fairness or do we want the four best teams? And I think we need to stop. And, and, and I have only one person said, asked me and said they want fairness. Well, if you want fairness, then we're going to get all these smaller teams into the playoffs while teams like Alabama might have been, if they didn't win the SEC, would have been left off because they had one slip up back in October on the road at Texas A&M. So, you know, the myth of, well, we need to get all these other schools in there. And then this, doesn't, this doesn't even happen. Like we were talking about the other day with uh, division on the Division two level, how they try to make out like they have parity. That's a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, I mean, North you look Dakota at North, 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 Dakota State won, right? <laughs> North Dakota State's won, what, nine national titles in 11 years. Yeah. So what does that tell you? I mean, what does that tell you? It, it says a lot. You know, that you know, Everybody thinks that oh this this um expanded um expanded playoff would help a lot in college football. No, it's not. I mean, even I any it's not going to help because guess what? It's still going to be the same conference, the Big Ten, 
the Big Ten, the, the SEC, and the ACC. Uh, Pac-12, they got to step their game up. Pac-12. Yep. I mean, the Pac-12 I, I is agree. And I mean, I, cheese. I, I agree 100% is that, that the Pac-12, you know, really has – they're normally out of it. They're getting out of it each year by the end of October, before the end of October. They're out of it. And we're like, okay, the Pac-12 is out of it. It's normally down to the, the Pac-12. I mean, normally down to the Big Ten, the SEC, even the ACC to a certain extent, and then the Big 12, because like the Pac-10, the Pac-12 knocks themselves out of it. So I, I agree with that, that. They need to step up their game. You know, they, they really do, because they're not holding up their end of the bargain. But and I got a fan got mad at me a few weeks ago because they were talking about always holding because after the Rose Bowl, how great of a game it was that they should always hold the national championships in Pasadena. And I said, no, I said, because I don't want that game played in a part of a country that they don't really give a damn about football. And I'm sorry. And the guy, I think, kind of got mad at me, but I was just telling the truth. They really don't. What I mean, if you, if you they look don't at care. it, I mean, it, it's like there's like a few schools that really care. Like Washington has a really good – they got a really good tailgate set up in Washington, at Washington. USC cares. UCLA, as much as people don't like to believe this, UCLA has one of the most underrated college football histories in all of college football. They've had national championships. They've won championships, uh, uh, conference championships and everything. It's just that a lot of people, most of us, have only known USC being really, really good at football and UCLA being really good at basketball. But UCLA football has a really underrated history uh, in, in term, uh, a really underrated history in terms of, of college football, as far as college football is concerned. But the thing I also The only thing I at, remember about UCLA is Troy Aikman and... and and Don Hughes, your coach. That's it. There was for <laughs> me. It was uh for me. It was Freddie Mitchell and Cade McNow, and uh they and 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 in present day is Josh Rosen and Chip Kelly. Like that's all I can remember. Um, uh, I do wish we didn't play them folks in in in, in, oh. in L.A. I wish that game had been played in Baton Rouge, but that was when when Ida hit. But um, uh, moving right along. Moving right along, we got to talk about whew, Joe Biden and the, vo- the voting, you know, the battle for voting rights. And, you know, and I also want to talk about Bree Newsom, Stacey, because I was livid when I read those tweets from Bree Newsom. And, um, I, and, and I feel like we're taught in the black community to respect our elders and respect the work that they that they uh, that they did. We're taught to do those things, right, Stacey? Is that the, am I right or wrong? Right. We're taught to hear this, and I know last week we talked about um, Emmett Till, and I told you my stories, like stories, you know, before we went on air. Uh, I talked about how I didn't know much about Megar Evers until I watched The Ghost of Mississippi. Uh, I did not not know that much. I just knew bits and pieces. And I never been a fan of slave movies, but, or or civil rights movies, but I I also think that that movie 
taught me more about who Mega Evans was than anything. I remember when uh, Byron Daylight Beckwith got uh, convicted for murder. I remember when they uh, when he got sent to jail. I was a little boy when that happened. That being said, when I think of people like Bree Newsom and all these blue check, blavity black motherfuckers, they always say, well, they always want to bring, they always got all the smoke for Biden and Harris, but they don't have none of the smoke for the people that are trying to destroy democracy. And then the thing I also said that I also think about is that you got up there to that flagpole on your own merits very well. I can, I can, I'll give you that. But those ancestors, the ancestors that got their head beaten in, um, got arrested and everything without their blood you wouldn't been able to get up there to that damn flag up that flagpole to take that damn confederate flag down and what i also said to a friend of mine the other day if we had freedom summer in this day and age stacy a lot of these blue check black motherfuckers they would be complaining about the conditions and everything they will be doing Instagram stories in motherfucking in, in motherfucking jail and shit. They wouldn't be doing it for the right reasons. It would be like they would be complaining about, oh, it's too hard. It is all this other stuff. It's like people like Bree Newsom, people like Bree Bree Joy, they do everything in their power to disrespect the work of the ancestors. And then they also feel like they, they're nothing more than, and you know, I've said this before, they're nothing more than mascots for white folks. The stuff that white people are afraid to say, they say it for them. You know, I, I can't disagree with anything that you said. Um, like I said, we were talking off the air before we went on, and I was telling you about this guy, white dude who is on my page and we got into it over the vaccine thing he basically will say that he hopes democrats lose all these elections because the messaging for uh for covid hasn't been right okay you're mad at the messaging but i said you're gonna you wishing the democrats lose because they're and i told him we said this there's nothing they can do i don't know what he expects them to do that hasn't been done the message has been out there and everything but you know, and I was I was getting really pissed off about it because I started thinking about it that this dude, besides besides that, but what really pissed me off was listening to this white dude basically almost tell me that he hopes all the Democrats lose. So you're basically saying fuck my rights as a minority. You want the Democrats to lose because you're not happy with the messaging, motherfucker. Do you realize that if these people get back in office, this country doesn't exist. My rights are gone. Your rights are gone. You know, and I'm talking about you, Ryan. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, I get what you're saying. Abortion is gone. Women's rights, uh, everything that they want to do is going to be rolled back. And this man is complaining to me, a white dude, having the nerve to complain to me, a black woman, that he hopes they lose every election because they're not doing the messaging right. The fuck are you talking about? And they've done everything they can. And as me and you talked about, 
they never at one point said during this whole time that the pandemic was over. They never sat there and told us that. I keep doing the stuff that I'm doing to keep myself safe. And they never came out and said it. The messaging could have been better. Yeah, it could have been. But at the same time, what else are they going to do? Because they could sit there and, and give everybody checks to keep their mask on. And there are people who would turn down these checks because of their so-called freedoms. There's nothing sometimes you could do but let people live their damn lives. And you know, and, them, and like the I thing said, and with, with the white... What the white that white guy is saying, he's basically saying that shit from the sense from the center of privilege. That's what he's saying. It exactly, and I told him. And, that. and the I thing about and the thing about it is, the thing about it is, and you got some black leftists that are just like that as well. They want the war. They want Republican administrations. They want right. someone like Trump. They their dicks get hard when it comes to authority, like authoritarian governments. They want that kind of shit. Like that's why they they that's why they take their happy asses over to Argentina and and Guatemala and all those places because they want that shit over here. They want that shit well, over here. They they're well, always they want like for example like the whole student loan thing. Okay, so you do realize that Biden has canceled over one billion dollars worth of student loan debt like they have done already done been doing some of that the problem is you guys you guys don't focus on the collective you focus on your right. own privilege you focus right. on your own individuality and that's where that's why we are in this shape we're in and it's like okay so when you go to the polls you're supposed to think about the collective not right. the individual motherfuckers right. don't do that oh absolutely and that was my point to him is that you want you're willing to sit out over some bullshit that basically the government has no control over they've done everything they could and you're willing to let my rights go to waste because like you said he's sitting in his white privilege and i told him this i said and he said well you're putting words in my mouth and all this i said no what you're saying no like no he, how, how is he putting like how is how is that putting words in his mouth his tone and his wording right. is right. why you're saying like it, it, it's why we're in this situation exactly it's why we're in this situation yep and and the thing yep. about it is people like him are the f first people that will go to a black lives matter speak uh, a black lives matter protest yep and, yep. it, and that's why i told you like i th i think i told you this that's why i was so damn annoyed with the black Lives protest last like two years ago i was so damn annoyed it wasn't because i didn't support the message i saw through the bullshit because you had white folks hijacking the movement hijacking uh the movement with the whole defund the police thing and i said okay you know what's gonna happen you're not gonna you're not gonna be bought they them they, they, these them folk them criminals not gonna fuck with you they if anything they're gonna fuck with the with the working class black folks yep so working class black people elderly people mainly they like cops you guys are too damn stupid to realize that and and I remember um, this guy, um, this guy who was um, 
um, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, and we talked about this. Uh, we talked about this. And I told him, he asked me, Ryan, do you think we should play sports now, even though we got all these damn protests going on? I remember saying to him, and this was no disrespect to anybody who'd been protesting, Stacey. I was like, you know what? We need to have because I'm getting completely over it. Here in New Orleans, we had like a month, like six straight weeks of protests. Six straight weeks. There were people that were protesting against the mayor and called the reopening of the city reckless. There were people that were in front of her house protesting and it was nothing but white folks. You had a few black folks here and there, but these people were white. I think I remember, I think I told you this story. Like the shit looked like a Klan meeting. I'm talking about, it was like, all these white folks in this predominantly black neighborhood and these motherfuckers are like right in front of her house and they were all in a circle that shit looked like a clan that shit looked just like a fucking clan meeting so it's like a lot of those people who say things like that they operate from a center <laughs> of privilege that's really what they do they operate from a center of privilege oh yeah Cause that's what I told him. I said it must be nice to sit back in your privilege, realizing that you don't have to vote because whatever happens, shit won't change for you. Things will remain the same. And I said, as a black woman, I don't have that luxury. And he said, tried to come back and said, that's not what I'm trying to say. I said, no, what you're sounding like is you're not an ally to me, people of color, women, and gays. And he hushed after that. So maybe he's thinking about what I said, but you don't. When you sitting up here saying you hope the Democrats lose, you're really hoping this country ends because they're not messaging. Give me a fucking break and after all the shit like we talk like, about. What, message does, what messaging does he want? Does he want Medicare for all? Does he want, oh, please cancel does, my student loan. Please cancel I mean, my student he, loans. These motherfuckers to me, people like that give up so quickly. I'm like, this man can't hardly do anything. His hands are tied. A lot of it has to do within his own party that we have people that don't even want to get rid of the, the filibuster to pass voting rights. That's what I'm saying. People need to understand and the message needs to be put out there. And all these negative negative people like Joy Reid and these other people, I'm sick of them too. And I normally like Joy Reid, but her negativity now has gotten it just to me. Got, it just got, got, it's gotten it's to like, me. I'm tired of it. And, 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 and the thing, and the thing that people are too damn stupid to realize that a lot of times the, the, the House, a lot of times, the party that is in office, they tend to lose midterms. That happens quite often. Right. You know, that it happened in 1994, it happened in 2010, it happened in 2018 when, when, when that guy got in. Uh, it happens. And it's like people, I, I'll say this in closing, and then we'll close out the podcast. Um, people need to learn about civics and people need to just stop focusing on top heavy which is the top left the top line which is the president or the mayor or the governor people gotta look at the legislative you know in 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 new orleans i think we elect i think we are next year we we're more than likely gonna we're gonna be electing a new governor a new governor um next year 
And I'm wondering how many people are going to vote Democrat in that election and who the Democratic candidate is going to be. But the problem I have is you're going to have a lot of people that's going to um, run those purity tests. And that's really why Democrats can't win. It's because these motherfuckers want to run purity tests. And it's well, like... And that's exactly what it is. He wants to run a purity test. He's he's not happy with the administration. Dude, do you well, know... Well, okay, okay, okay. He's not happy because they not care, they're not catering to him. Think about that. He is not happy um, with the administration because it's catering to the collective. He's mad because it's not catering to him. See, it's that yep. individual, it's that individuality right. over, over, over the collective. Oh, and, and you're absolutely right. And that's what cost us the election in 2016 was, it wasn't about the, the greater good, which we've talked about. And I've talked about before we lost that collect, uh, election because people, you know, it's about the greater good. People are not caring about the greater good. It's like, they're not doing enough in my eyes for me. And that's and you're exactly right. That's exactly the and, issue. And one of the things that you said, and you and one of the things that you said was the fact that these guys that you know it was like the the, the whole white womanhood thing, the right. whole white womanhood thing. And when you said that, I was like, that was the first time I ever heard it sound like that because I never thought like, damn. Damn, you're right. I was like, damn, you're right. Because these folks did not value, did not view her um, um, as, as a part, as, you know, as a true white woman. She wasn't, she didn't represent true white womanhood because she stayed with her uh, husband and everything. But Stacy, we get we're at the close of this night of uh, this episode of the Wednesday night show. Next week, more than likely, Rob will be joining us. Um, any closing thoughts? Um, the main thing for me is just like we were talking about with politics. I hope that people need to get together when it comes to politics and realize this is about the greater good. And if we don't wake up as a collective nation and stop getting in our feelings over the little things like you said about COVID messaging or about student loans that paid off. We're going to be dealing with an authoritarian president or a dictator in the next election. And all of our rights as a collective country are going to be gone. That is the goal of these people. I'm hoping that the DOJ and Merrick Garland, which I've said, we need to also give them a chance to, that's what other people pissed off about that too. And I'm like, do we not realize how many people are involved in this stuff? That it might it's take tons of people, it's tons of people. And it's too many people, and that's what I'm saying, people are rushing them to get this done. But as a country, as a whole, we need to get our shit together and realize, and, and, and I agree to a certain point with the message and Democrats need to get together and say, listen, we've been doing this, unemployment is down. The pandemic hopefully is slowly turning and coming to an end with this new variant that people are not getting as sick as, as, as the ones who are vaccinated and things are not as bad as they could be. And people need to understand, though, if we don't get out here and vote, 
You know, and they're trying to fight for our voting rights. If they don't get a chance to stay, we're, we're dead as a country. That's what, be, that's what needs to be emphasized. If we don't vote in this next election, they're going to take over the House. They're going to get the Senate. And it doesn't matter that Biden is president. It's not going to matter. Now, he can veto. The only thing that the thing that we'll have in our power is veto power. Thank God. But it's not going to matter. He's not going to get his agenda done. And people don't get their head out their asses and realize this is about the greater good and not about your own individual feelings and rights. And, and that's my closing on that. But same thing with my, uh, my uh, same thing I have with this is, you know, the greater good is the most important thing. It's the most important thing here. And that we have to focus not only just on national and on national uh, elections, but we also got to focus on state, on the state, and local elections, those things matter to you. Those things affect you the most. Those things affect you the most because right. you have like my my new city councilwoman, she lives right around the corner from me. Um, um, the mayor of our city lives not far from where I stay at. The DA stays on St. Charles on St. Charles Avenue. So those things what the, i just uh those things right there i just discussed and reiterated um t it, it shows you how important uh local and state elections are it's not just federal elections it's not just national elections it's also local and state elections read up do your homework do your homework my aunt my aunt mandy Every year, every time there's an election, a local election, she's always doing her homework. She's always researching her candidates. And that make, that's an, an informed voter. Don't vote for the person because you think they fine as hell. Look, my, look, Stacey, my city councilwoman's fine as hell. Just, just look up Leslie Harris, okay? <laughs> she fine as hell. She, she's fine. I'm not kidding. She's fine as hell. We had we had the former governor's son running for public. He's running for governor, Fob James. And I don't know if you remember him. You're probably too young, but look up Fob James and you know what I'm talking about. But yeah, the state of Alabama politics right now is sucky. Yeah, I mean, ours, I mean, we got a howdy duty motherfucker as, as attorney general in the state of Louisiana. But I say this, I didn't vote for Leslie Harris because she, I mean, she is fine as hell, okay? But what I'm saying here, do your homework, read up on your candidates, right. Please. you know, read up on your candidates. Okay. They're not going to always check out all your boxes. There are some shit that I didn't agree with Biden on, but it's called harm reduction, harm reduction. Right. That's what, that's what voting is. It's sort of like, you know, um, it's sort of like people say, well, vaccines don't work. Motherfuckers still getting the virus. I'm like, well, here's the thing. It's called harm reduction. The vaccine is harm reduction. The wearing a face covering is harm reduction. That's what it is. And people are too damn stupid to realize that. You know, you all believe that the vaccine, I'll say this in closing. You want to know how I realized, learned that you could still get covid because even though you were vaccinated, my Twitter crush was the one that told me because she called it twice. 
And the very day that she um, tested positive, I went and got a test myself. And it wasn't because I was exposed to her because she lives in Tennessee. I went to see for myself. I'm like, damn, I can still get COVID? So um, I went and got, when got tested and tested negative. You know, I just had to throw that out there. But again, local and state elections matter a whole lot. Go and vote in every single election. Don't be like, oh, we, why do we have to vote? And like our lives depend on it because it does. Your kids' lives depend on it. Your life depends on it. If you don't believe that your vote don't count, uh, look at what, what I ended uh, If it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for Georgia, I wouldn't have gotten my laptop. I wouldn't have got yeah, that fourteen hundred. If it were, if 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 y'all if our votes don't count, then why are they trying to stop us from voting? They don't. That's they the reason why they stop. They the reason why they stop want to do it. It's because of voter turnout. It's not voter fraud. Yep. Voter fraud is some made up bullshit. It's voter turnout. So how can we how can we curtail voter turnout? Make it harder for people to vote. Folks, that concludes the end of our the Wednesday night show. Next week, more than likely, it will be Steph, Stacy, and Rob and me. As always, thank you for your time this time. And until next time, we will see you down the road. Say goodnight, Stacy. Good night, Stacy. Get vaccinated and boosted, folks. Yeah, man, please do. Please get vaccinated and boosted. It, it makes you horny. It does. Not true. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Oh damn! I can I'll 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 I'll, I'll, I'll leave. I'll, I'll um I'll we'll see you next week, folks. Bye, y'all. <laughs>